Good evening and welcome to the Pompey Politics Podcast. I'm Ian Tiny Morris. And I'm Simon Sandsbury. So welcome viewers and listeners. Another Sunday evening of local political based fun. Oh, and Simon is having all sorts of fun with we've got a new technical setup today so hopefully everything's coming through loud and clear and um, for those of you who are close watchers of simon's hairstyle um he's keeping it particularly close so that he can't tear it out any more than his uh he has been doing all week so uh I, I, is it all looking good there on the technical desk simon well it's, as as far as i can tell yes so. ah which is the old Either it's working okay or you're in blissful ignorance that it's not. So our focus this evening is the last full council before the gloves come off and we go into to the full duking it out on May the 4th. Yes, yes. Yeah, so t- Tuesday was the was the last full council um, before May's local elections. 14 uh, councillors up for up for re-election out of the, out of the 42. Um, and... Uh, yeah, it was a bit of a mixed bag, to be honest with you. Well, obviously, following on from last week and the budget meeting where everyone seemed to hug each other, sing Kumbaya and and have a generally warm and loving tone. It's, um, you know, it, it was that just an outbreak for one meeting or um, I think there was some there was surprising general consensus on a number of issues um, in this meeting as well. Um, yeah, in, indeed, there was there were quite a few things that were literally just kind of way through at the, at the start of the agenda. Um, but once we got into the notion, notices of motion, even there, um, there was a surprising outbreak of consensus and agreement. Um, not that everybody liked that idea. No, I mean, the last week, it's, it's, so again, we'll have to, we'll have to look carefully at this point as to whether it is the positive warm bonhomie of collaborative politics or and by grumpy world whether it's everybody just going here whatever so um we'll we'll um we will digest it with our laser-like analysis which is what hopefully our our listeners and viewers have come to expect so you've got the agenda in front of you simon where 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 should we start um well um well, we could we could start by uh, looking at the fact that um, so one of the so some of the things that um, that kind of waved waved through um, we may well come across um, come into a, a, in a bit of detail later on, um, but the the things that were the so the notices of the motion so where there was some um, where those came in that the first of those was uh, about uh, the council being unhappy about Tesco supermarkets removing uh, their recycling facilities uh, from their stores um, in the city um, and that causing problems. Everybody seemed to be pretty in much in agreement that they were really unhappy about that. Um, didn't like that idea and called on tes- Tesco basically to sort their stuff out, bearing in mind, I think it was, what, £2.8 billion of profits, which is about a 36% increase on the previous year. They can probably afford to be part of the solution as they're part of the problem. So quite quite a cross-party um, agreement on that one. Yeah, yeah. And I, I struggle with this a bit because they've been they've been unhappy with Tesco before. I think I think they uh, when Tesco gave notice that they were taking these things away. I guess 
It is this interesting concept, isn't it? That that you know, if somebody sells you the product, it's they're partially responsible for cleaning up after you've finished with it. And I'm 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 not sure that I I kind of ascribe to that logic, even though they're making decent enough profits, or possibly very very decent profits. But there's an element of I I I'm still not quite sure that you know we have a I have an array of bins outside my house where I can recycle almost everything. And the only thing I had to ever go to Tesco's for to recycle anything was, I guess it would have been bottles and the occasional clothes. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, was there any consideration that perhaps as the council takes pretty much everything else away, um, though those kind of missing elements are something they should be doing rather than leaving it to the good people of Stockwell and Cohen? Um, I, d- I don't think that was the. Um, that seemed to be kind of the, the view. Really, I think the, the view is that there's changes coming a, a ahead um, with the Environment Act, which is going to um, help facilitate some things to do with recycling policies and help perhaps standardise some recycling requirements. The, the um, Councillor Atkins pointed out about the differences between uh, between councils about what can and can't be recycled, and maybe there's an element of the council needing to get its own um, house in order before it starts criticising Tesco uh, about this issue. But but nonetheless, it's um, there is um, headway on the idea of um, several uh, local authorities within within Hampshire, although we're not obviously within Hampshire under Hampshire County Council. Mm. Um, there are still some things where it's sensible for us to cooperate and um, work in partnership with um, with other local authorities in in the region. Um, and there'll be a a new MRF, which is, if memory serves, a material. Um, was it mater- oh, something uh, material? I can't remember what the year is. Recycling facility. So someone's about to tell me into the um into um what that is but that will enable us to elephant do... no not elephant no 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 um right. but it will enable <laughs> enable the council to do curbside glass collections so everyone will get a uh, get a, a separate container to be able to put their glass in so that's just another container for us to have um but it means that finally we'll be able to do those because previous up until now we haven't been able to do those at curbside because there isn't the way to collect those and then separate those back out uh, when the, when they get to the facility um, to the, to where they're um, where they're uh, processed. So yeah, really good. Um, good to see that recycling facilities are going to be uh, the ability to recycle is going to increase. Uh, Councillor Charlotte Gerarda pointed out that, that Portsmouth has one of the lowest recycling rates uh, in the city. The administration pointed out that we have one of the lowest rates of using landfill at only 4%. Um, so you can you can talk about the numbers all you, all you like, but I, I guess yeah. at the end of the day, some of these things require action from central government to standardise what materials are used in packaging and therefore make them easy to recycle because not all of them are. Um, and therefore, that's the kind of widespread. So yeah, so everybody hated the idea that Tesco had taken the recycling bins away. They they applauded yep. the idea that the council had um, has put a recycling bin over the road from Tesco um, in Fratton. They're looking to do something similar at Port Solon um, and basically watch this space. Cool. So Tesco's bad, recycling good. We all agree. Yes. Ring the bell. Next motion. <laughs> so uh, so one of the um, so one of the other ones that. Um, that got a look there um, was um, was about safe spaces. So, um, so 
uh, a motion raised by uh, Charlotte Gerada um, and Susie Horton, um, where they talked about um, there was a motion brought to council in December last year, um, and they worked together to actually improve the original motion that had been uh, put um, put forward. Uh, but essentially, um, y- lots of young people are reporting um, that they're feeling unsafe on their you know, basically when they're going from A to B when they're going to and from school. Uh, for example, and some of their parents are, are really quite concerned about uh, about those uh, about those safety issues. Quite a concern about uh, the issues or risks of uh, county lines and things like that. So, um, essentially, this this motion is talking about teeing up with um, with local with um, schools, uh, making sure that there's better awareness of what um, what information is available on the council's website um, and if need be organizing safe spaces where young people can go to if they feel that they are um, threatened or they, they feel that they're unsafe that there's somewhere actually that they can go um, to be safe so that that you know so that the fear perhaps of actually something happening doesn't stop them actually going about their normal business um, and um, and living their lives with the freedoms perhaps that we enjoyed yeah and for me no 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 issues with that at all. That, for me, seems like good sense. And again, um, uh, a collaborative motion proposed by the Reds and the Yellows. So, um, so yeah, I can't see anyone objecting to that. So we we will ring the bell and move that one on as quickly as the first. Uh, yeah, nobody's bad in that. that obviously, apart from the county line drugs gangs who are inexorably bad. But yes, this is this is all seeming rather collaborative and good sense at this point. Um, yeah. So yeah, the um, the recycling thing was uh, motion was carried, um, and that, by the way, was raised by um, Council Leader Gerald Vernon Jackson and uh, Councillor George uh, Madrick from the uh, from PIP, um, and the safe spaces uh, was un- unanimously agreed. It would be, I'm sure, it'd be hard to Perfect. find anyone in the council that thinks that young people shouldn't have safe spaces. Um, so uh, yeah, we then kind of diverge a little bit with regards to where people um, had consensus and agreement. The, the next thing that we wanted to look at, so we're going a little bit out of order here for anyone that's actually got the agenda in front of them. And if they have, um, good for you. Well done. Yes, that's well that's done. extra credit. We've done some yeah. homework. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, so the, the, the Stop the Knock motion was brought forward by councillors oh. uh, Cal Corkery and Kirsty Meller um, with the uh, raising the Who issue. Who are our two independent non-Portsmouth independents. Yes, yes, they're uh, both ex-Labour councillors um, and indeed uh, Councillor Cal Corkery will be joining us uh, next week on, on the show. Um, so it'd be lovely to have him on again and to and to hear what he's got to say uh, about his time as a councillor and his experiences and uh, what he wants uh, for the future uh, for Charles Dickens. Um, the ward, that is not obviously the writer. Yeah. Um, so... Um, now, before you dive into this, Simon, mm. I, in with my almost encyclopedic but rubbish knowledge of things that have gone before, I think this has been brought before. So the, there the was, whole stop the knock. Yeah, well, so there was a motion last year, um, and um, and indeed, Councillor Heaney uh, mentions that this this was kind of this was brought up last year, um, but that was raised. There were concerns there raised um, under one of the standing orders that if you're bringing a motion to council that identifies basically a change of mono, a change of policy that causes expenditure, that you need to identify where that where that money's coming from. You can't just mm. bring things to council and say the council should 
spend 20... Oh, the council should spend loads of money on, I don't know, painting curbsides yellow. I don't know. Um, but you've got to find out where that money's coming from. So, um, but this motion doesn't necess- doesn't actually say the council has to do X or Y. It's asking the the basically the cabinet to consider doing certain things um and therefore that's how uh, that's how this uh was a different from the original motion and b um obviously was was allowed on on that basis um but there's um yeah so uh should we listen to um to to what the councillors had to say on that one yep let's let's do that okay So too many Portsmouth households live in constant fear of bailiffs knocking their door. The poorest and most vulnerable do suffer disproportionately from debt issues and the local authorities should not be actively adding to their woes. One in two adults with debts has a mental health problem. One in four people with a mental health problem is also in debt. Debt can cause and be caused by mental health problems. Those on the lowest incomes in our city used to be eligible for council tax support of up to 100% of their liability. However, this level of support was cut in 2016, so now even the poorest have to pay at least 20% of their council tax bill. Debts owed to councils often end up in court, and council tax is the only debt where a debtor can be sentenced to a custodial sentence for non-payment. There is divergence between local authorities regarding how affordability is assessed and appropriate repayment plans are calculated. The standard financial statement produced by the Money and Pension Service provides a consistent, fair and industry-recognised method of working out affordable repayments for residents in financial difficulty. So what we're asking Council to do is to support the Money Advice Trust campaign called Stop the Knock, which would then call on Council to firstly make a clear public commitment to reduce the Council's use of bailiff overtime. Secondly, to review the Council's signposting to free debt advice, including phone and online channels. Third, to adopt the standard financial statement to objectively assess affordability. Fourth, to review the formal policy covering indebted residents in vulnerable circumstances. Fifth, to um, consider following examples set by other local authorities by exempting council tax support recipients from bailiff action. And lastly, to sign the Citizens Advice and Local Government Association Council Tax Protocol. So now moving on to the briefing note that has been prepared for the leader and, as I understand, um, circulated at his request. Say, for example, if we'd ask the money advisors um, employed by our local housing offices who deal with people in debt on a daily basis and are kind of accredited to provide specialist money and debt advice, I think we probably would have a very different form of analysis before us. This motion and this campaign is not about whether to collect, it's about how to collect and how enforcement action should be pursued um, if there are then issues where people fall into arrears. The note that Councillor Corkery refers to from the, the Section 151 officer says, and I quote, the likely additional cost of these measures is not addressed within the notice of motion. Under our rules, that means that the notice of motion should fall. And we could very easily say no um, to debating it today. That would be wrong. We're interested in any way in which we can try and help. Councillor Corkery talks about the um, situation in 2019. Since then, Referrals to enforcement agents have fallen by 56%. We want to work with people so that we can actually provide a decent service that is tailored to individual need, not necessarily tailored to a campaign that is four years old. I'd like to take this opportunity to share with the Chamber four case studies that myself and Councillor Corkery have actually dealt with. 
Mr X is a disabled resident with severe mental health issues. He told us that on one day last week, the bailiffs visited or called him six times in one day. He has repeatedly told them he is going through the process of getting a debt relief order and he doesn't have the money to pay them, but they are continuing to contact him in a way that he now feels constitutes harassment. Portsmouth City Council bailiffs have requested that Mrs B pay back £189.17 per month. This amount is unaffordable and is pushing her further into debt. She is struggling to make ends meet. She is a single mum to two children and is in receipt of universal credit. Mrs D was also being visited by bailiffs during COVID lockdown in relation to a council tax debt, despite being vulnerable and shielding. The bailiffs have previously requested £150 from her next carer's allowance payment and £150 from her next universal credit payment, which is clearly unaffordable. She called the council to try and arrange a payment plan, but was directed to contact the bailiffs again. Also during lockdown, Mr Y called us about a council tax debt he had been passed which had been passed to bailiffs who were visiting his home regularly during lockdown, which he was concerned about as he has a disabled son who was vulnerable. He told me he has repeatedly tried to come to affordable arrangements with the bailiffs, but they kept on rejecting his offers and insisting on amounts which he couldn't afford. More should be done to ensure the highest possible ethical standards are being upheld and that vulnerable people on low incomes are not harassed for money they do not have. When we get a note sent to us on Monday, I got it at 10.51. The witness says, um, Dear Councillor, the leader has asked me to prepare a briefing on the above motion for all councillors. I've attached this for you so you can consider it in advance of the council meeting tomorrow. The, the, the briefing was actually written on the 9th of March and I was just a little surprised we were given it on the Monday before the meeting. Councillor Sanders made some comments about the, uh, uh, the, the content, basically uh, implying that the motion is all about um, letting everyone off from any debts, and that's what the motion is saying. Well, look, but it doesn't say that. Well, that's what you were saying, I and mean, you're shaking your head at me, but that's what you were saying. You said anyone who's got any debts could be let off on the basis of this uh, motion. Um, but it's not what it says. It quotes some statistics about debt and debt recovery, but it doesn't actually say that it asks for anyone to be taken off uh, debt recovery. So all of the things that uh, Councillor Corky have been asking for are, in a sense, asking the Cabinet to consider, because we can't mandate the Cabinet to do anything. We can ask the Cabinet to do something. So why don't they just accept the motion and just review it and then come back with their decisions about what they wish to do? My fear is it, it presumes that somehow people won't have to pay their council tax dues. And I think that's a that's not the right message that needs to come out from the from the council. When I've talked to people, um, the the problem that people get in is is they get into levels of unmanageable debt. Actually, having bailiffs being involved means for people that they're able to prioritise and organise their debt in the way that CAB and others all, um, would want them to do. So it's the the problem is with people who just ignore debt and it builds and builds and builds and then it becomes unmanageable. Everyone is individual. Everyone does have situations whereby they have different reasons why they're in debt. They have different reasons why it's got to the bailiff point. It's an unfortunate reality, but people are individuals and people do make choices that are sometimes very, very unwise.
I think it may sound to residents perhaps listening or viewing, dare I say, um, that it sounds as if we've got quite a cold take on um, how we deal with people that fall into hardship. If people are in crisis and they're coming to their counsellors, we're the people that can signpost them and hold their hand and say, we'll help you, but you also have to help us as well. Um, so, yeah, quite a few contributions there from uh, from uh, Councillor Cal, uh, Cal Corkery, uh, Darren Sanders, uh, Kirsty Miller, um, Graham Heaney, uh, Gerald Vernon Jackson and um, Matthew Winnington and then Rob New so quite a bit of um, uh, our views there on kind of both sides but yeah it it seems that the administration had released um, a briefing document on the Monday just before uh, just before uh, the council meeting um, citing some things which um, which they felt um, meant that um, perhaps that the motion wasn't as necessary Um but then, in in the end, they proposed their own amendment to it, which changed, um, which changed two words um, in in the actual motion um, to um, to consider uh, and re or review. So essentially, um, again, reinforcing what Cal was saying, which was that the motion was was about actually asking the the, ca the council and the, and the cabinet to review its policy on, on this issue, which the the amendment was subsumed. Um, and then the and then the motion was voted through anyway. Mm. Mm. This one troubles me because I think there, there there's there was some semantics in the debate or the excerpts that we heard, um, and I think Rob New struck the nail on the head at the end there, which is that you know pe people who find themselves in hardship. You know, the, the, it is in the council's interest to work with them. It is in all the councillors' interest to work with them. And, you know, for a debt to be passed to a bailiff, you know, there didn't seem to me to be any acknowledgement that, you know, that only happens once the dialogue has broken down between the debtor and the council. So, you know, the first part of, of the ask, which was to reduce the or, or to actively reduce the amount that are being passed to bailiffs well i think that's a no you know I, I think everyone would agree with that because at the end of the day you know bailiff's role is to recover debt that's what they do um you know that's how they get paid and whilst that might be considered unsavory by some you know ultimately uh, th this is you know what we're talking about here is people who have not for whatever reason paid their council tax and I guess there is a there is a bit of me that says, well, you know, how much is this motion about, you know, saying, well, you know, not really your fault, you know, couldn't be helped, low income, et cetera, et cetera. You know, go on then. And and I, I, I really struggle with that conceptually. Um, but I think that's the, the point of the disagreement and the, and the debate that occurred in the chamber um, was that that wasn't what the motion was was suggesting the motion was suggesting was calling on the council to follow some standardized processes on us on assessing affordability um yep. and to uh, and to review how it signposts people to to help that's available and to make sure um that the bailiffs that are acting on its behalf are indeed actually looking at affordability rather than just um and you know, rather than effectively strong-arming people into 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 paying uh, paying their their overdue council tax, I don't 
the, you know, the, 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 well, the motion wasn't saying people shouldn't pay their council tax. It was challenging the method by which and the 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 ethical nature of the conversation that should be taking place with vulnerable people to to make sure that I, that 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 conversation isn't creating a fur, further vulnerability, pushing them further into debt and causing causing distress. Those those examples that um, yeah, and that, that the councillors um, stated. Sorry, gone. Yeah, no, and I absolutely get that, Simon. I think the challenge is that, that as I said, you know, once a debt has reached a bailiff, that will be because dialogue, you know, and the council has control at that point over all the discussions around affordability and all those discussions around, you know, because ultimately it, it's in everyone's interest to come to a mutually agreeable solution, isn't it? And And people can't pay you if they don't have the money. That's that's the simple fact. It doesn't matter what you do. But the flip side to that coin is when a bailiff knocks the door, you know, there are almost nobody who has a bailiff knocking at their door is going to take the, oh, go on, you've got me then. Let me just take out this big wad of notes and count off the money that I owe you and then you'll go away. Well, if they do, then they're, you know, they really are rather foolish. So I think that there does have to be that middle ground I think it's it's about where we draw that line. And for me, you know, as much as the council can do to make sure particularly, you know, those affordability calculations do need to be dynamic because, you know, what was affordable 12 months ago, you know, particularly if you're on a low income and you're, you know, once you've paid for the basics of the shopping and everything else, you know, let's let's be honest, the, those those kind of very basic living costs once you paid for your heating and your lighting and your your food for the week that's taking a much bigger chunk of your wages or income or whatever you want to describe it as than than last year so i think you know for me there does have to be a look at those those rules they do have to be dynamic and they have to change you know in line with a very fast paced changing environment i think the the bit for me is that you know, once you've reached the point of enforcement with the bailiffs involved, um, there is an element of, I think we can agree that that's a lose for everyone apart from the bailiffs who, you know, understandably are going to want an amount of that money for going to recover it. So, so yeah, I mean, review it good. My view is that, you know, whatever the council can do to strengthen its position to stop the 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 arrangement getting into the hands of the bailiffs um they need to do once it's in the hands of the bailiffs can you really tell a bailiff not to upset somebody by going and asking them for the money that they owe and they have refused or have been unable to pay i'm not certain you can yeah but those two responses of you you take different different courses of action wouldn't you to you know because there's a difference between someone refusing to pay and someone being yeah. unable to pay um and I, and I think that's that that's the fundamental difference is it, um yeah. that the motion is caught is 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 asking for the consideration of of how that happens um and um and how to review that um on, on that basis so yeah, yeah yeah um that one um the amendment um was subsumed um and the and the motion um the motion passed um, because 
as uh, as Councillor Heaney said, um, the, the council doesn't have the power to direct the cabinet to um, to, to make a decision in in that regard. Um, so the, you know, all, all they can do is agree that the cabinet should review it um, and therefore make a decision in due course. Yeah. Um, and and look at it in that way. Um, so yeah, that was that was the stop the knock. Um, so one of the other ones, right at the end, right towards the end of the um, of, of the meeting, um, was in the members' questions section. Oh, I'm trying to remember who was who was it? Who did? Is this fireworks? <laughs> Shouldn't we have? Yeah, I was wondering whether you were going to launch into a bit of Katy Perry there. Um, Katy Perry, I was going to go for Ella Goulding. Good, good knowledge, yeah, Katy Perry. Yes, 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 fireworks, absolute Portsmouth institution, King George V playing fields, Cosham, one of the few things that the lords and masters in the south, the few crumbs they sweep off their table for us. Pariahs in the north. Oh, it's a majestic thing full of beauty and wondrousness and uh they're going to take it away because they hate us that's pretty much um, the motion for the question um or have well, i if i over paraphrase I, I think i think you might have overplayed it a little bit but let's um let's let's see um let's see how that question went can he confirm whether or not the uh much love fireworks display will return to the kg5 fireworks uh, kg5 playing fields after the development work on the football site is finished. Whilst the open space for the fireworks firing zone and the safety zone remain, it is the, the feeling of the events team that there will not now be adequate space to enable the large members of attendees to safely watch and egress the event, particularly given the growth in numbers since COVID and recent rather scary experiences, particularly at last year's event, where despite all best practice being employed and proper advice given, families were choosing to cross the very busy main road and not use the designated crossing points. The police raised concerns with us about that after the event. As members will be aware, the fireworks display is just one of a number of events that takes place at the site and discussions will occur with the events team or any other event organisers who do wish to use this site to consider the feasibility and layout of activities going forward. We absolutely recognise the relationship between the annual city firework display and its historic delivery in the north of the city and we will seek to uh, make sure that this event remains in the north of the city going forward. Because of the increasing footfall at Cosham, it has made it very difficult to accommodate everyone from the south of the city who floods up to the north of the city for that event. So I've asked for a feasibility to take place to look at holding two simultaneous fireworks events on the, on the, the appropriate date, one in the south of the city and one in the north of the city. Once we've looked at that feasibility, and it's going on at the moment, we will then review the likely numbers that we feel would attend an event in the north of the city and see whether that we feel that whether that could safely be accommodated at KG5. If it can't be, we pledge to find an alternative location in the north of the city in discussion with ward councillors to make sure that the event remains in the north and we will continue to pursue a simultaneous event in the south of the city. In terms of sustainability, lots of people jumping in their cars and flooding north. 
the huge amount of footfall on the site, the potential damage that it causes to the, the grass up there and its playability then as sports pitches afterwards at a very difficult time of year. Remember, we had to reschedule the event last year because it was so wet it wasn't safe to put the infrastructure on the site that we feel that it's worth exploring whether there are better alternatives, one, to be able to guarantee that the event can go ahead on the planned date, because obviously rescheduling incurs further cost, but also to make sure that we can do that in a way that's accessible and safe for local residents. Oh, So, not quite the... Um, so, really a... Okay, we need to think about this one, um, because things have changed, it's getting too busy... Rather than having everyone, schlep, you know, having half the city schlep their way up to the north of the city, isn't that possibly a good idea? Um, yes, I think the I, I think the key and part of the reason why this has broken out into a full social media scuffle is that the question was asked last March, yes. um, and I think Ben Dowling was in position at the time. That was, will these new astroturf pitches have any effect on the King George V playing field fireworks display and I think he gave assurances that they would not um, but I guess you know uh, I think Steve had, he commented in the in the evening news that perhaps Ben didn't have the, the full facts in front of him at the time and I guess when Steve's explained that there part of the rationale the fact that they need to move isn't just about the, the pitches it is or, or what was postulated there is that the event had almost become too large um, for the King George V playing fields to to host it. Um, so yeah, I, I think it is a challenge, Simon. I think there is an element of, you know, one of the challenges I think with putting anything on is there is an element of well, I don't like it. So you know, I have I've lived in Caution for twenty years now. I think I've been to the fireworks display twice now. Obviously, it's a visual display, so it's not my thing. I took our kids there. Um, but there's an element of, I never really minded it going on, but it's one day a year, isn't it? And if I look at the football, um, you know, the, the football pitches and what's been done there, well, I'm not a footballer either. But I can at least recognise that that will be a community resource that will be used, you know, every weekend pretty much during the a number of evenings during the week, and you know is going to be a facility for you know for for kind of lots of different folk, um, you know, with the with everything that comes with it. So, um, I think it is bad. It's a, you know, I don't know how long the the Portsmouth used to be the IBM fireworks have been running for, but it's a good long while. I I, I don't know how how long they've um how long they've been running, but um but yeah, you, I mean you're you're right on the on the background. And uh, Councillor Steve Pitt was at was at pains to explain and and um um and apologise for that at at the at the start of it of his response um, that that's how they'd kind of got to that situation and the best thing that he could do now would be to be really clear really transparent and honest about what the options were but what he'd identified was that if the events team were saying it, it, it's not going to work because it's too big um, obviously you making the ground smaller isn't going to help that but it's now too big for it to be safe anyway um so instead he's looking at alternative ways 
um, to be able to achieve that. And uh, councillors uh, Lee Mason and uh, Matthew Atkins, uh, Conservative councillors in, in Cosham, uh, both expressed their uh, dismay um, and uh, pretty much feeling that they were they'd been lied to by officers and, and, and Steve's predecessor that um, that despite seeking re repeated assurances they, they, they their assurances have actually turned um, turned out not to be accurate and, and therefore that's not something that was covered in the consultations not something that that, that people have considered and, and Kosham is as as um, as I think as um, councillor Atkins said there was that um, it's ideally located from a from a transport perspective. It's very close to the train station. You've got good bus links there. You've got the um, you've got the parking facility at um, Lakeside nearby. So in that respect, it's actually yep. quite a good location. And the other locations that you might consider aren't necessarily going to have as good transport links, or will or will require other arrangements to to help people get there without them all schlepping up there in their cars. Um, but again, if you're dividing the 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 demand by two. Then maybe that won't be as big a problem. Yeah, and that's that's the bit that I really, you know, again, I I don't know what the data, the demographic data is on that, and I doubt it exists because, you know, that that we have big housing, you know, conurbations in Cosham, in Wimmering, in Paulsgrove that are all kind of pretty much walking distance from, you know, King George V, and and there is that element of, you know, I don't know. You know, I don't know how many how many of the good people of Eastney and Craneswater and um, you know, and South Sea and and everything. Else, I don't know how many of them are jumping on the train or driving up to 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 take part in that. I guess time time will tell. But yeah, I think the challenge that you know, as you've highlighted there, what whichever site is identified, um, you know, again, we we know the local geography reasonably well, um. You know, and I, I can't think of another site that isn't, um, you know, doesn't have the same challenge. You know, it isn't as well placed in terms of parking and rail links. And, you know, that that's where that sort of challenge comes in terms of those big open spaces in the north of the the city. You know, there's Farlington Marshes, there's Rugby Camp. You know, for, please, God, don't let them put 10,000 people on the rugby pitches there grubby enough as they are so yeah i think we've got to let this one run simon and see what comes up next but i think whatever comes up is um is is going to be suboptimal compared to the the king george v option well, well but again that's that's presuming that obviously the the option to you know the idea to have two simultaneous displays means that the demand will be reduced enough that it makes king george v viable still so all in the, all in yeah. the hands of that feasibility study that um that uh, Councillor Pitt was talking about, so I'm sure we'll get to hear about that in due course. Um, if not from the council, if not from the evening news, certainly from someone's leaflets um, over the course of the next few weeks, I'm sure it will come up. So There needs to be a bar chart. <laughs> there needs to be a bar chart. Um, do we know anyone that's good at bar charts? Uh, no. Right, next <laughs> next uh, next on the agenda so so the next thing we wanted to look at was actually we wanted to go back to some of the things so early on in the agenda there were there were uh, about three different items that were essentially just the way through they were they, there was an ability to debate some of them but they weren't they weren't actually open for vote um anyway uh, but they were there for information purposes um um and one of those things um was about council tax premium on second homes 
So, mm. um, so this stems out of um, basically some changing legislation that's coming up from the Leveling Up and Regeneration Bill that's currently having its second reading through the House of Lords. Um, so it's now at committee stage where detailed line-by-line discussion of amendments takes place. Um, and what this, what this piece of legislation would allow councils to do would be to charge up to 100% premium of council tax on second homes um, mm. and also charge um a um basically a 100 percent premium on substantially unfurnished empty property i'm not quite sure how you define substantially unfurnished um uh properties that have okay. been such for for one to five years it's currently it's about uh, two to five years uh, but there's um essentially a a rising scale for uh for those um unfurnished empty properties or substantially unfurnished empty properties of um of, of it being um 200 um if it's over five years and 300 if it if it's over 10 years so um so yeah there's some some big things there the empty properties for example you're looking at the current figures um the report says that um sorry the second homes w- would net the council an extra two million pounds in um in council tax bearing in mind that the budget Holy for next year is about 94 um and the empty properties bearing in mind obviously if it comes into force it would only be the first year because you can only you can't start the clock from before the legislation if that makes sense yeah. um so uh so properties so the properties that have been empty for more than a year but less than two years um that would be uh about four hundred forty seven thousand pounds so quite a um quite a, a a substantial um addition uh to the to the council's coffers if if they're able to do that um but the interesting thing about the proposed legislation is that um it requires councils to uh basically to announce um 12 months before the start of the financial year in which they intend to levy the charge so uh, say for example um the council decided that on april the first not april fool but on april the first that they needed to uh they were going to announce that they were intending to to use this uh, the facility to levy these extra charges to the owners of of these properties that wouldn't come into effect and until um until the um uh, until the financial year of uh 24 uh, 25 um and in order for that to happen the legislation needs to receive royal assent by the end of this month Ooh. and if it doesn't so we're on a time, it goes back another time, financial right? year yeah so this is an interesting one isn't it uh, because the first thing that sort of has me raising an eyebrow is i hadn't seen this piece of legislation reported widely and um very interesting that the tories who only want to help the rich and uh, you know that as part of that leveling up agenda have put forward a piece of legislation which effectively you know is a, a is a stealth tax on people who either have holiday homes and or have purchased properties solely to sit there and fold their arms and wait for the value to rise as a property investment. So, so an interesting political point there. You know, for me, this this makes good sense because I guess, you know, if you do own a, a three bedroom luxury penthouse in Gunwolf Keys, then the the kind of muse on whether you can afford to pay double council tax on that is probably not a um not uh, one you have to think about for too long and you know two and a half million quid that is you know from memory when we did the sums looking at the council tax rise that 
that three percent that uh or 2.99 percent that it went up was about 2.7 million wasn't it um yeah you're right um basically each percentage rise in the council tax uh that's that was voted through at the budget um last month um it is effectively 902,000 pounds worth of um of revenue so um to either to avoid that um, those percentage increases the, the council either needed to find savings of, of a similar amount or to find other sources uh, of income um, so yeah that's quite a substantial amount I think it works out that had for example those um, this this regis- legislation be already on the books and the council been able to enact it for um, start charging people this from April the for April the 1st uh, this year so next month um, the council tax base amount would have only needed to have risen by about 0.3 percent interesting i guess the thing will be whether this is one of those taxes that that yields you revenue or changes behavior you know so there is an element of we could see a flood of properties coming onto the market i guess if they're you know rental or investment properties that are empty which people could be living in that's that's probably no bad thing but um no i can see why they approved this one so in the interest of time we'll ring the bell on this one and what have we got on the agenda next so um so the next thing was um was the report about the anaerobic digester plan so that's basically the council looking into the feasibility of setting up a piece of equipment that enables it to process uh, the food waste that's collected from people's properties um and essentially turn that into fertilizer and to uh, biogas um, and that gas is then piped into the national grid for uh, people to use in their homes as as they would with any with gas that's um that comes from fossil fuels so um the council's been looking at this since 2020 uh, working with and, in, and informing um, hampshire county council and, uh, and other local authorities um in the area in summer 2020 they identified one site um but could understand that they needed to um to, to look for more than one site they identified another uh, second site in autumn 2020 but it wasn't owned by Portsmouth City Council and undertook a feasibility study for gas grid connection and for alternative uses should the anaerobic digester not secure planning permission um, and then in February t- uh, 2021 they identified a third site and again performed topographical studies grass, uh, gas grid connection technical drawings etc um, but then in March 2021 the first site was discounted as unusable um, and the second site was discounted as the purchase price makes the scheme unviable. Um, mm. So summer 2021, um, they've submitted pre-planning application to Hampshire County Council and uh, submitted capital bid uh, for the funding for the ongoing investigation. So it's still kind of cooking. Um, but if that is something that that, um, that could be set up and owned by uh, Portsmouth City Council, that would effectively be something they can charge other local authorities for the cost of using. So uh, that might, in the end, be a potential revenue stream, as well as being something that's that's better for the environment than having gas that's drilled up from the North Sea, um, and having food that basically just decomposes um, or just just burnt off um, at the incinerator. Yeah, it seems like a seems like a good idea. I, I guess it's that the old does the do the numbers stack up, and I think the other thing for me, which I, when I looked at this uh, as part of this, it's like. You know, the, the wheels turn so bloody slowly, don't they? You know, well, we've been looking at this for two years and can we have some more money to look at it some more? And then we'll talk about planning permission and, 
you know, you, you can absolutely bet your left leg to an acre of Swedes that when they announce where it is, um, it, it will not be met with joy and and anticipation by local residents because although it is, as you say, an anaerobic digester rather than an incinerator, those um, lorries full of food waste have got to get to the place, offload their food waste and head off again. So, um, you know, that feels like it's going to be, you know, they'll announce where it is. Everyone will go mad. There'll be a public consultation inquiry. Uh, yeah, I don't see this one coming online much before 2030. So um, I think we can all nod and wave at it, but it, it doesn't feel like it's... it. If this is the cavalry to help start weaning ourselves off of natural gas, it's... Um, I don't think it's anywhere near the top of the hill at the moment, Simon. No, and it and it might be one that um, maybe we revisit later when um, when we have the Inquisitor Jerry Brown uh, back on the show to to look at all things council investments. So um, definitely worth getting into the into the detail on that one. Uh, but no, it's not going to happen overnight. No, to be honest, no, no project of that scale is going no. to, is it? Um, yeah. So um, so another thing that was on there was about the pay policy settlement. So um, the council is required to publish the ratio between its median salary um, and its highest salaries. Um, and um, it's given some various figures uh, about what that is. So at Portsmouth City Council, the median is £24,401. That means that 50% of the staff earn, weight, uh, earn a salary above that amount and 50% of them um, below that amount. Um, the ratio for PCC is 6.83 based on figures in March uh, 2022. Uh, the previous year, the ratio was 7.21 um, and the median was 22,500. So uh, the ratio has gone down a bit, but the median the median's also gone up. Um, and um, other councils by comparison, Buckinghamshire 6.69, Cornwall 6.5, Thurrock 6.3, um, Milton Keynes 6.2, Reading 5.9, West Sussex 5.69, Oxford 4.5. So we seem to be coming in at a higher ratio um, than mm. those. Um, and just to give you kind of some idea of the bandings of the high wages that we're talking about, um, the chief exec, um, so um, right wages spanning between um, 151 and 166,000. Uh, port director um, and upper grade um, upper grade director. Um, don't forget, obviously the the port is is owned by the city council. Um, one hundred thirteen to one hundred twenty three thousand. Um, a director of lower scale ninety seven to one hundred seven, and a senior manager eighty four uh, to ninety two. So Ooh. very skilled, obviously skilled um, workers, obviously in high demand. Um, uh, but it's I, I don't know. To me bit of the stats kind of head on it I'd, I'd kind of want to see a see how the distribution of the different wages works out and how that how that that kind of pans out yeah i mean for me <laughs> very interesting figures and, and i always think with these ratios that the devil is actually in the detail um and and you know when i look at those pay bands it does you know i i think the days of of the claims that you know again local authority pay is poor by comparison to the private sector. Um, I, I'm, I'm not certain that still holds true when you look at those numbers. You know, there is an element of, of you know, 80,000 plus for a senior manager, not even at director level, 
um, you know, those are the kind of numbers which gets people frothing at the mouth in terms of MP salaries. Um, you know, and I, I, it'd be very interesting to know just how many dozens of those that we have amongst Portsmouth um, City Council. So for me, when I look at these ratios, you know, it, there's there's only two there are many ways to manipulate those figures aren't there and and one of the interesting things for me is that if you want to push that median salary up one of the best things you can do is outsource all of those lower salary jobs so um you know any sort of cleaning staff carers you know the gardeners the 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 refuse collectors you know let's um if we outsource all of those that'll move that median salary up and um you know that'll that will take care of business now I, I guess the question with all of these is you know well well and so what you know does that make any difference to the people who are earning what they're earning in you know at the moment for their role no i don't think it does you know you can you could put a pay freeze on your top executives well yeah that would help um, you know, because for me, if I look at the encouraging number in that, the fact that the median salary has gone up, you know, all by the shouting 10% since last year, well, you know, that, that, if we assume that all things have stayed the same, well, that says that the lowest paid, um, have seen their, their, their wages increase almost in line with inflation. So, well, yeah. On on that note, PCC agreed to follow the living wage from July 2022, um, which increased. Uh, so that increased to. Um, uh, so it's increasing. Sorry, in May 2023 to £10.90 an hour, um, uh, which is £21,029 an annum for a 37-hour week. Um, yep. So from from May, so um, it's good to see that the wages on the lower end of the scale are going up. Um, and while I guess it's, it's easy to say, crikey, that's a hell of a lot of money. But um, the, the truth is, is in we've seen the issues in areas like planning where the council doesn't pay as much as other local authorities do. Um, and we're struggling to retain um, retain staff with the experience that help planning applications process. So it's a, you know, when you, you know, if you if you if you don't follow what the market demands, then you're not you're going to struggle to secure the best possible people. Absolutely, and I think that that's where, you know, when you when you look at these the these these ratios and things, I think sometimes they're interesting. But the the story just from the numbers alone um, isn't as clear as some people might think it it tells you so we we are thundering through the agenda it's 22 what have we got left so the last thing that we wanted to um would to look at was the motion about southern water um and that again was um uh, was one where unanimity um overwhelmed the chamber um there was an amendment uh from um from the labor group to insert into the motion um that came from um so the original motion was uh, from councillor kimberly barrett and um um and uh oh sorry i've forgotten who else it was from and uh, councillor adir um so um it's the amendment was to insert basically the um the the requirement for southern water to be looking at um looking at the impact of human medicines that are 
being uh, basically passed through us into into the uh, into the watercourse via their treatment plants because it's not something that they treat for or attempt to remove and the impact that that's having on um on the ecosystem and ma and marine life um so quite some serious things we've had uh, professor Ad uh, alex ford on on the show before to talk to us about about things like that we've had uh, people from stop the sewage south sea um from um and people from the um from hailing against sewage um on and um the um the harbor um the harbor partnership also been we've been on the show and talking about this but fundamentally this motion is calling again on the we need to keep an eye on southern water because they're not keeping their promises um the council have had to spend thirty five thousand pound putting up uh, signs just to warn people about the sadly the the stuff that's in the in the sea that's been um dumped into the sea uh, by southern water and um everybody seemed to be in universal agreement that that's rubbish they should clear up their own mess um but any suggestion that southern water should have control over what goes on to the onto the boards or that it should have their branding on it seems a bit laughable and and a and a bit untrustworthy but yeah there were various a breakout of various people well, saying how little that they trust what the um, what the water company says um and also um graham healy pointed out that um you know with the with the industry privatized in 1989 without debts from it from its previous operation um, but southern water in particular as a litany as a charge seat that um that would make most repeat criminals blush and i think that is you know that's absolutely key in this discussion is that southern water has no shame and you know it's not that long ago that they were fined 90 million pounds and i think it, you had written down somewhere that the judge's summing up of them um you know if that was in a criminal case that summing up would be that would be before a sentence of somebody being sent down for you know 20 30 years you know yeah, it would be a case of yeah it was, a, it was something that um graham heaney quoted it was these offenses show a shocking and wholesale disregard for the environment, for the precious and delicate ecosystems and coastlines, for human health and for fisheries and other businesses operating in coast, coastal waters. Um, he goes on to say that the company had a history of has a history of criminal activity for its previous and persistent pollution of the environment with 168 previous offences and cautions. Um, but ignored these and not altered its behaviour. Um, like you say, any uh, in any other industry, in any other company, they'd be they'd being wound up, and and the um, and the directors would yep. be finding themselves on the sharp end of a of a prison sentence. Yeah, no, and and I think for me, if that was the building industry and and disregard of health and safety legislation, you know, the directors would go to prison. And you know, the, the, there is an element of I think we can vehemently agree on this that you know Southern Water are a disgrace. And I think that, you know, we are in that situation where, you know, this has to change. And, you know, there is an element of, of I think all parties are saying this simply isn't good enough. And I, I think, you know, it, it is something which, which, you know, again, I, I, I can't get my head around. We've covered it a number of times where, you know, I, I do not understand how, you know, you can fine a company 90 million pounds and you know they then plead poverty that they haven't got enough money to, to to undertake the works to fix the problem 
yet they're still paying shareholders hundreds of millions of pounds. You know, there is this element where, you know, uh, and this is where, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm pro-business. But with something like Southern Water, you know, I, I, I would, you know, if they announce profits of 130 million pounds next year, I'd have them back in court and I'd find them 130 million pounds you know and there would be an element and i'm going to keep doing that until you fix the problem because the problems are soluble they're not difficult they're expensive they're time consuming but they're not difficult so yes vehement agreement to 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 end the show yes and it, and indeed the the amendment was uh, was subsumed um and uh, and everybody was in agreement that basically um for want of a better word southern water need to sort their um sort their shit out um so yeah charging us for the privilege of pumping our own sewage back at us is not really what we're paying them for absolutely so looking ahead to next week we have councillor cal corkery on i am really looking forward to the episode cal's been a friend of the podcast for a number of years and always gives us a very interesting and heartfelt perspective on uh, his views on politics and local affairs so um i think that one is going to be an absolute humdinger simon so uh yeah make sure that everybody tunes in next week you don't want to miss that one yeah in, indeed do and my apologies for the correction it was um that the southern water was um, proposed by kimberly barrett and seconded by um abdul Qadir. um uh, but yes but join us 627 next next sunday uh, when we've got cal on um and um don't forget we'll be lining up hustings um, for the local elections so if you're a candidate in the local elections in Portsmouth please do get in touch with us either message us on Facebook or email us at studio at pppodcast.uk um, and uh, we'd love to hear from you and we'll get organising some hustings Brilliant, you've been listening to the Pompey Politics Podcast, I've been Ian Tiny Morris and I've been Simon Sansbury. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of the Pompey Politics Podcast. If you want to make sure you get notifications about upcoming shows and get to know when we're live, we normally broadcast live 6.27pm on a Sunday evening, then follow us on Facebook at Pompey Politics Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at Pompey Politics One. Please, if you'd like to, feel free to leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and you can even ask Alexa to play the podcast for you. Alexa. Play the latest episode of the Pompey Politics Podcast. Getting Pompey Politics Podcast from Amazon Music. Alexa, the latest episode. stop. See? It's easy. <laughs>